This morning's sermon text comes from Luke chapter 2 and verses 22 through 38. Please hear the reading of God's holy word. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people of Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the glorious word of God. May the Holy Spirit bless the hearing. As I prepared for this sermon, the Holy Spirit just impressed upon me the the glorious nature of the gospel. I pray today that's what you hear. It's going to be familiar to many who are of the faith, but I pray that it would restore you, that it would encourage you, that it would excite you, even from the very moment of when you first heard the truth about Christ Jesus, that you would come to the knowledge of his glory and his salvation. We look here in our text of the story of two individuals of Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna were waiting for a long time all of their lives. Can you imagine waiting for something all of your life? All of our life from the moment that we go to sleep, from the moment that we awake, seems to be that we're waiting. We're waiting for the alarm clock. We're waiting for our significant other to get ready so we can go places. We're waiting at traffic lights. 
We're waiting at the doctor's office. We're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Our life is just full of moments of waiting. And those moments of waiting will only come to an end when the now arrives. The now arrives when everything that was in the future has become the present. And that which is expected to come is come. That's where we find the focus of our text this morning. The long-awaited consolation of Israel is no longer in the future, but is now in the present. This moment that we're going to read about and that we're going to focus on is just not a season like any other season that passes and another season overtakes it and it begins. This is an eternal moment. This is the moment where God brings eternity into the sight of all those who are living in this world. That that moment isn't like the Christmases that we just had. It passes and we're going to hope if we're still here that we'll have another Christmas next year. No, it is a season that is now. The coming of the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah is now. Those that were waiting all their life, they hoped for it, they longed for it, and they waited for that moment. And now we should be encouraged. How are we going to live our lives? Are we going to see the Lord's Christ today? Are we going to see the Lord's Christ, the one that Anna and Simeon waited all their lives, and are we going to live our lives seeing him all of our lives? This moment is a time of fulfillment. It ends all waiting by bringing eternity into the now. For whom Anna and Simeon saw at the, at the end of their lives, we're, we're to see every day. That's what I pray that we're able to see in the sermon today. That we're to see the Lord's Christ. And the way that we're going to see the Lord's Christ, Lord willing, is first that we see that it is Jesus and he is like us. Second, that Jesus is the perfect Savior. And third, Jesus is our Redeemer. Let's look at the first point, that Jesus is like us. It is so necessary that the one who would come as the Lord's Christ is like us, born in the likeness of flesh, born under the law of God. We can see that in our text from the very moment of Mary speaking about this rite of purification. In our text on verse 22, it says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Many have said here that what is taking place is a purification just for Mary, just for Joseph, not Jesus. Many have argued that it's illogical to think that Jesus would need purification. But here I would side with Calvin, who says the very thing that it is necessary that Jesus 
would come and present himself for purification. Not because he needed to be purified, but because we need to be purified. When Jesus is brought under the law, born under the law, it shows us the uncleanness that is in the world. When a woman would have a child, she would be unclean for seven days. On the eighth day, if she had a male, the male would be circumcised. And for 33 days, she would be confined from the sanctuary of God to make it very clear that she is not ready, that she's not clean to come into the presence of God. And then on the 40th day, she would come into the temple and give a sacrifice. Make a sacrifice. We see that in the rite of purification. So when, if you had a male child or a female child, you should come and you had the firstborn child, you had to redeem that child before God. You had to buy it back from God to show that the first belongs to God. And so when she would come and make the sacrifice, you're supposed to bring a lamb or and a turtle dove or pigeon. But if you are poor and you're unable to bring a lamb, then you're to bring a second turtle dove or pigeon. We see from this text where Mary was. Jesus was born unto a poor family. The sacrifice that's given here is the sacrifice of the poor. And Jesus bears that estate. He had no advantage. He was not exempt from the harshness of life as he entered into this world. Our Savior that would come into this world bore all the disadvantages of life to deliver us from it. He had to be born under the law to bear the weight, to answer the demands and the command of the law that said you must be clean to come into the presence of a holy and righteous God. We can't do that for ourselves. There's not any of us in this room that's able to make ourselves clean enough to come before a holy and righteous God. God had to send his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God that we may be made righteous, that we might come into his presence. As I think upon that, I stand amazed and astonished that the Lord of creation, the one who is perfectly pure, holy, without sin, subjects himself to the very law that judges and condemns sin, that reveals sin, it's God's grace that he shows us that we are sinners. That's what all the ceremonial law that led up to this very right that we're seeing is telling us is that we are in need of being made clean. I know that word clean and unclean is like it's foreign to us. It's not something that we talk about in our faith about being unclean or clean, but it was very common in the Old Testament to speak in such a way. It is to point to our spiritual uncleanness before a righteous God. And so this is who we see that is being brought on the 40th day of his life 
to come before the law of God, to bear the weight and the commandment of the law to show us what we need, to show us that the purification that we need, we cannot achieve in ourselves. Because sin is a major problem in this world. Sin is the problem in this world. It's the deadly contagion that has ruined everything. It has poisoned everything good in this world, and it robs us of every joy that is good for our souls. Do you ever wonder why life is so hard? Do you ever wonder why there's such a harshness, a a pain, and a suffering that goes on in life? Why we try to be good, but we're never good enough. When we're trying to do right, but we can never be right. We struggle in frustration and agitation in this world. We may get moments of peace, but we never get perfect peace apart from Christ Jesus. Sin weighs you down and ruins every part of your life. And the only remedy to that is for one to come in the likeness of sinful flesh and put it to death within this body. We must see the Lord's remedy. If we see and feel the weight of sin, we must see that Christ Jesus is the only remedy. It is what God, it is who God has sent into this world to alleviate the weight of sin. No one can bear the weight of sin. It is the pressure that weighs you down in life. It will cause you to stumble before a righteous God. It will cause you to be deceived to thinking that you're more righteous than you truly are. But look at Christ, who is going before the law in a right of purification, who is perfectly pure to show you the measure and the length he must go, to show you just how unclean you truly are. I can remember a time when my daughter Abby was seven years old. And she was doing something wrong. I can't remember exactly what she was doing wrong, but I kept asking her, I was like, why are you doing this? I want to know the answer. Why do you keep doing this thing against me, disobeying me? And she looked at me and she said, I don't know. I really just don't know. I don't know why I do these things, Daddy. And even in that moment, if I kept pressing the issue, I would have been encouraging the weight of the sin that she was feeling at that moment because through God's commandments, through his instruction, sin gets its power. That's hard for us to understand that sin uses the holiness of God against us because it can't condemn us and judge us apart from the judgment of God. And so in that moment when my daughter was saying, I don't know, I don't know if I pressed down upon her and pushed more and more of the command, that sin would have just just raised up sooner or later. You just give up. You get more rebellious or you get more angry. 
But there, by God's grace, I was moved to show grace. Because the grace of God is what takes the life breath out of sin. Sin has no power before the grace of God. God's grace says to sin, I've dealt with you. I've taken away your power. You can't come to the law because I have a savior. I have a redeemer, Jesus, who has bore the weight of the law and answered every demand, every command of the law. And we see it right here. Do we see the Lord's Christ? Do we see him bearing the weight of sin before a holy God? By bearing the burden of the law, even as a baby at 40 days old. So where is your comfort this day? Is it there? Is it in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ? Of the Lord's Christ who Anna and Simeon waited for the consolation, the comfort of Israel? That Israel had been in such trouble and pain and sorrow for so long because they had been in opposition to their God. And there were those that were waiting to be comforted, to see their God. Do we see the Lord's Christ and his salvation? That brings us to our second point of what we should see if we truly see the Lord's Christ. Jesus is the perfect Savior. We see in verse uh, 28 that Simeon, when he comes into the temple, he's brought there by the Spirit. The parents are bringing in the child Jesus to do according to the custom of the law. Seems very ordinary. It's what any baby and parents of a baby that had just been born would be doing. They would be going about the ordinary ways of their religion. But what we see here is Luke makes a stark contrast because he changes to the response of Simeon. That we are then swooped away from seeing Jesus going about the customary ways of the law to seeing that Simeon takes him up in his arms, takes him up in his arms and blesses God. Can you really imagine that if you are bringing your child into a congregation and you don't know someone and immediately they came up and swooped and took up your child, you would think, wow, you would push back, you would repel, you probably would act not very friendly at that moment as you want to defend your child. But this is exactly what took place in the temple with Mary. Simeon sees the baby is led there by the Holy Spirit to say everything that you've hoped for, everything that you've longed for, everything that you have waited for is now. The moment is now. Here is words where he says in verse 9, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Simeon was a servant of God. He, held, he was held by the sovereign hand and authority of God. But he knows at this moment he's being released. He's being freed from serving God by waiting for him. He's ready to die. He's ready to go in peace. And so 
what Simeon begins to do, he sings a song to declare that this little babe is the salvation that he's longed for. We see him say here that for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples alike for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What Simeon is saying is I have seen the perfect Savior. Here in this babe, the promises of the one who would come to deliver and rescue his people is now. It's no longer to be waited for. He is here. He is now. And so when Simeon sees Jesus, he sees the Lord's salvation, the perfect salvation. Why is it perfect? We see here uh, in um, verse 31, it says that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Why is it perfect? Because this is a salvation that is ordained by God. This is not something we cultivate. This is not something that we create. It's not some kind of idea or some movement, but it is a, 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 a work a purpose, an ordained preparation by God to bring salvation into this world through this baby. Do we see the Lord's Christ? Because who Simeon was now holding, he was holding all that he longed for and all that he hoped for. You can be certain, as we heard earlier today, and the assurance of pardon, that they shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. There is no doubt in those words. It's all absolute. The name Jesus proclaims the promise that God will save his people. If you see the Lord's Christ don't doubt it. Have confidence that what God has promised, he has performed perfectly in his son. His son will save. His son is a savior, a perfect savior, a complete savior. He's complete that for he sends a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This salvation is not limited just to a few people, but it will go out to all types of people. It's prepared for, prepared before them all, that all can see the glory of God's salvation in Christ Jesus, meaning there is no neutral ground before the person of Christ Jesus. You either believe or you don't. You either receive him or you don't. There is no neutral ground in the way that God has ordained salvation. But that salvation goes out to all the people. It was promised as we heard in our scripture lesson, and there are many more in Isaiah 42, that the salvation that would come to the Gentiles would come through Israel. It would be shown that they would be a covenant unto the people. 
that when the light of God returns to Israel, it was a sign of God's promise that salvation is now. That salvation has come, is come, it is present. You no longer are waiting, it is now in Christ Jesus. And third, the reason why this salvation is complete is because it is for glory to your people Israel. The light of God's grace and his mercy and his love was already shining in the people of Israel throughout the old. But when the salvation of Christ Jesus comes, that light is brought to a fullness that shines throughout the world and tells all to come. Come to his glorious salvation. See the signal. See the sign of his salvation. It is embodied in the person of Christ Jesus. It is a, he is a complete and perfect savior because of his power, his sovereignty, his efficacy. He's not a potential savior. He didn't come with hoping to save people. He came to save his people. He's perfect. And that salvation, because he's a perfect savior, will humble the proud and haughty and raise up the poor and lowly. It humbles us. If you are truly seeing the Lord's Christ as the perfect savior, it will humble you. It will bring you from the heights of wherever you are and bring you low that God can raise you. And what we learn from Simeon is that Jesus is a savior that we should embrace. We should hold on to him with great affection and love. We should be moved with a passion, with a commitment, with a dedication and a discipline to follow him. Because when Jesus saves, he saves to the uttermost. We're tempted in this world to have other saviors, to have false saviors, to have political powers, to have money, to have wealth, to have ourselves as our savior. If we have a dependence upon any of those things, we don't see Jesus as the perfect savior. He is complete. He is perfect. He is all that we need. So are we trusting in Jesus alone for our salvation? Is he, as we've already sung, our only hope and righteousness in this world? Do you see how lovely and wonderful he is? If we do, then we should embrace him. We should see him not only as our Savior, but our Redeemer. That brings us to our final point. Jesus is our Redeemer. We come to verse 36 where it speaks about Anna, another one who all her life had been waiting for this moment, this eternal moment to become now. She responds, and that's what we want to focus on, is what is Anna's response here? She responds to seeing Jesus by giving thanks and wanting to tell others about him and his redemption. 
What Anna brings out here, the account here about Anna brings out that Jesus is a redeemer. There's a difference about Savior and Redeemer. The theologian B.B. Warfield makes this note about the name Redeemer, is that it is a title of more intimate revelation than either Lord or Savior because it gives expression, not merely to our sense that we have received salvation from him, but also to our appreciation of what it cost him to procure this salvation for us. What it means is that our Savior tells us when we hear the word Savior, we hear what Jesus has done. He saves, he delivers, he rescues. When we hear Redeemer, we see how he did it. He gave of himself. He ransomed himself. He gave his life to buy us back, to deliver us from the wrath of God. That's what we're being saved from. We're being saved from the enemies in this world, from the pain and suffering and the torments, yes. But we are being saved from the judgment because God hates sin. Sin, uncleanness cannot become, come before the presence of a holy God. Romans tells us that those who are in sin, that continue in sin, you're storing up the wrath of God. I know it's not, a pot, it's not a popular thing to talk about. But the wrath of God is real. God's judgment are upon all those who remain in their sin. You are eternally separated from God if you continue in your sin. We need someone to deliver us, to buy us back, to bring us into relationship with God. And only Christ Jesus can do that. If we truly see that is the Lord's Christ in the person of Christ Jesus, then we'll respond like Anna responds. That gospel message will pierce our heart, humble us, break us, and cause us to proclaim the great things that God has done for us. There's a song of the gospel that should be permeating in our heart that you can't help but sing. When you hear someone else singing a song and you catch that tune, it takes you up within that song that it becomes contagious and you begin to sing that song. That's what it's all about when you receive this life that is given to us in the person of Christ Jesus. There's an old hymn that many may know, and if you haven't known, I would tell you to go and read and hear and sing. But it's called, I Love to Tell the Story. That's what we're talking about here. Anna, when she saw the redemption in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, everything that she waited for, she wanted to tell others about him about who he is. And that's how we know, do we truly see the Lord's Christ? Listen to some of these lyrics. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus in his glory, of Jesus in his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story 
more wonderful it seems than all the golden fancies of all my golden dreams. I love to tell the story. It did so much for me. And that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. That is the effect of the gospel upon our hearts. Are we moved by God's grace so much that it permeates our soul that we are going to burst from within to proclaim it to this world who is in such great need of hearing it? The gospel message is to be proclaimed. It's not simply to be kept just to us, but we are to be affected by the gospel. So is our heart moved by the gospel? Are we, are we um, having the message of salvation penetrate every part of our life that all we want to do is see Jesus? That all we want to do is wait like Simeon and Anna until we see Jesus perfectly. But through the gospel, we can see him. Through the gospel, we do see him. And if you are moved to proclaim the forgiveness of God, then you have seen him. I pray, go into the world and let others know about this great salvation that is now.